Well, today we are starting a new series, and it, it is actually a series that's a recurring series in our church. It is called Find Your Voice. Years ago, I faced the reality that as Christians, we're really bad at having great spiritual conversations with other people about hot topics. Let's face it, when a hot button issue comes up, first of all, many Christians don't even know what we believe. And second, when we decide to share it with people, the conversation goes very, very poorly. And so in the end, we really can't share our convictions with courage and confidence. So I said, you know what? We're really going to work on this as a church. I need to work on this as well. So the series is called Find Your Voice, and over the next six weeks, we're going to look at topics like LGBTQ, racism and violence, God and government, and then today we are going to start with uh, the sanctity of life, uh, abortion, and what do Christians believe about the unborn, and how can we share our beliefs with other people. Now, there are some people online right now or in person right now, you haven't put a lot of thought into what you believe about the unborn. You haven't put a lot of effort into sharing that view with other people. And maybe, frankly, like most people, you want to sit this one out. Given the fact that it's such an explosive issue and everyone has opinions that have been staunchly held for decades, you're like, yeah, count me out, right? But is that good enough? We have to know what the Bible says on such an important issue. We have to realize that if you conclude that the unborn is a human being, then it's not enough to stay silent. It's not enough to sit this one out. We have to find our voice. And I would love for you, uh, to, if you just kind of want to tune this out, if you're like, this isn't what I came to church for, or if you're online and you're like, about to click away, I would just invite you to actually sit in that tension and listen. Because my goal is not to stir up strife. My goal is not to lecture and tell you what every good person should believe. My goal is not to demonize people who have a different opinion. We're going to have a really good, logical, scientific, biblical conversation about this topic. You may have never heard a sermon like this in your life. So please give me a fair hearing. And I've got great news as well. Many of you would listen to my webcast back in the spring when we had to shut down for 16 weeks. I did a weekly webcast Thursday afternoons. I'm bringing it back this Thursday. I'm going back Facebook Live Thursdays at noon. And what we're going to do is I'm going to preach on the topic Sunday, but we really can't have any engagement, any conversation. And then on Thursday, that topic is going to be what we're covering. And so this Thursday at noon, hop on, and we're going to go deeper into this discussion. And you can even ask your questions, and we can have some, some interaction on this. So the topic today is <clears throat> the sanctity of life. Let me begin by saying this. Uh, I do believe lives are at stake, and I do believe that there is still a cultural war over this issue. I think that people hold their opinions very strongly, and I think that we have to decide what the Bible says. Does God have an opinion on this matter? And if we conclude God does have an opinion on this matter, we have to speak up. In South Carolina this week, we noticed again just how political this issue has become, which adds fuel to the fire. It's a very political issue, and in South Carolina, they were working to pass the fetal heartbeat bill, which means that at about six weeks, if a heartbeat is detected, you cannot abort the child. And so that bill was being pushed through, uh, and I want you to ignore the political side of this, but I've got a video to share with you, and I want you to listen to one of the representatives and ask yourself, what arguments is he making against the idea that the unborn is a human life. Listen to the arguments, ignore the politics, all right? Check it out. 
We don't believe that life begins when science says it does not. And we more firmly believe that we are here to take care of people. I believe it's somewhere in the Bible that states that judge ye not by your words, but by your actions. And as we look at S1, we can't help but wonder whether we're reading the same text. We can't help but wonder when we look at 8,000 deaths and 1,200 deaths, whether we are being mindful of our own actions. And Mr. Speaker, for that reason, the Democratic Caucus will not be with you today. Mr. Speaker, for that reason, the Democratic Caucus is not going to participate in this farce of a vote about pretend life. Because we know that there are real issues out there that are confronting us every day. They're confronting the citizens of this state every single day. And when we weigh those interests against spending our time in here debating this issue, the Democratic Caucus simply chooses not to enter in that fray. So at this point, Mr. Speaker, ladies and gentlemen of the House, the Democratic Caucus will exit the House floor and leave you all to the farce, which is a debate about life. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Mr. Rutherford. So what we see here is how divisive this issue is. An entire group of legislators leaving, they won't even discuss the idea that the unborn is a human life that should be protected once a heartbeat is actually detected. And if you, if you listen carefully to what he said, he included arguments like there are bigger things we should be talking about. This isn't even a real issue. Science tells us when life begins, and uh, clearly they do not agree that life begins um, at that point in the womb. And he called it a farce, and he said we're discussing pretend life. So my question for you is, if you had a microphone in front of you right now, would you know what to say? If you agreed with him, could you back that up? If you disagreed with him, would you know exactly what to say to be persuasive and confident and biblical and scientific in your conviction? Let's pray, and then we'll learn together how to do that. Father, we pray that you would help us, O oh Lord, because what a hard issue this is to discuss, and how many strong opinions there are out there that for decades and decades... These opinions have been thought and rethought and documented. There's an encyclopedia behind every opinion on this topic. But Lord, show us what your word says. Show us, O oh Lord, your mind. Show us, O oh Lord, your heart. And we pray that you would help us to represent you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so all the verses are going to be projected on the screen, so you won't have to race around in your Bible. Uh, but here's the first thing. Hey, hey, how do we have a conversation about this? Uh, the first thing that we could say is this. Number one, all human life has God-given value. We believe that the Bible teaches that all human life has God-given value. This is the starting point for any conversation about what happens with what we find in the womb. You have to answer this question if you think that you or any other human being is actually worth something, worth protecting, worth valuing, worth respecting. Everyone has to answer this question, where did that value come from? It's not enough to just pick at someone else's opinion and say, oh, that Bible, you know, where, where in your worldview does humanity get value? Where does it come from? We would say the Bible teaches it comes from God. It is God-given. 
And we think that if you try and find it anywhere else, wherever you trace the source of the human's value, if it's not God, then that source of value can be taken away because you found it somewhere and you can remove it from a human if you're not careful. We believe that the value for humanity comes from simply being human. It's the kind of thing that you are. From the moment you are that thing that grants you divine value. Isaiah 64, 8 says this, But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you are our potter. We are the work of your hand. What a beautiful image of us actually being hand-carved and formed by an almighty being. That's where, our, that's where our value comes from. He made us. He made every one of us, each one of us. I love this thought of being like God's ceramic, right? You might think that pots are not very, uh, you know, expensive or value. You would be wrong. Do you know the most expensive and valuable ceramic in the world? Do you know what it is? I know what it is. It's the most expensive ceramic ever sold. And we'll put a picture up here on the screen. That's it. That's it. At a New World auction, they set a record in Hong Kong when this brush washer, you heard me clearly, it was used to wash brushes, sold for $37.7 million after 20 minutes of tense bidding. It's regarded as the most celebrated of all wares in the history of Chinese ceramics, the brush washer. It broke the previous record of $36 million, which was paid in 2014 for a Ming Dynasty chicken cup. Now what on earth would make someone pay $37 million for a bowl? Can you even imagine paying $100 for a bowl? My goodness. Well, it is valuable because it was commissioned uh, by and for the royal court a thousand years ago. It was meant to embody the elegance, the simplicity, and the beauty of the land. And it was used by the royalty. Therefore, it was made in the image of the leaders and the people of the land. Here's a few more pictures of this bowl. They, they used this very special kiln and they achieved a very meticulous process that created this ice crackle look. Here's the next picture. And therefore, if you, and there's very few of them, they're very rare and special. And so if you were to find one of these at some sort of a pawn shop, uh, it's worth millions. Now, you and I are worth far more than that bowl. Why? Because we were all designed and built by God himself to embody his royal wisdom and love and grace. Human life is sacred because we were made by God. And therefore, each human life is a treasure fit for heaven's court. Human life is sacred. Every human life has God-given value. Why? Well, jot this down. God created humans in his image. He set the proof in creation. God made earth to sustain life. Have you been following what's going on in Mars? They dropped the next rover down on Mars. Have you seen the pictures? The panorama, the view. They're looking for what? They're looking for what? Life, right? They're looking for life. So they're on Mars checking around. and uh, Mars is technically inhabitable, you know, close. 
Uh, but it's very rugged and rough. You'd need a lot of things with you to survive there. Not on earth. You could just walk outside. You, well, not now. <laughs> when it warms up, you can just walk outside, right? Earth is custom calibrated to promote life, to promote human life. And therefore, God made, he created a world, and he created man and woman in this world. Genesis 1, 26 to 27 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created Eve out of Adam. So the one became two. Therefore, we all came from the same ancestor, which means all humanity derives from God's creative power. And God picked up us, right, formed Adam from the dirt, and then breathed life into him. So we have a materialistic side, that's life. That alone, if you were to find that on Mars, materialistic life, my goodness, if you're the one to discover that, your name would, you'd be given all the prizes in the world. Uh, but God designed matter to turn into life, but he also gave us a spirit. He gave us a soul. So we became made in his image. He also gave us dominion. He gave us the ability to exercise uh, dominion over the earth in his stead. So we would be like him here on earth. Psalm uh, 8, 4-6 says this. David says, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings, those are the angels, and crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet. Why, God? Why? Why would you put us in charge here? Why would you give us such glory uh, and make us this way? There's dignity. There's value because we were made. Every human being was made in the image of God. Jot this down. God designed us also to know him and to love him. We were made to know him. So therefore, there's proof in creation of our God-given value, and there is proof in salvation of our God-given value. He sent the Lord Jesus Christ, his one and only Son, from heaven into earth. Now, if all Jesus had done was warp down and wave a magic wand to take away our sins, that would have been pretty amazing. Wow, he loves us. He sent his Son to take away our sins, right? Just humanity. He's redeeming humanity, but he did more than that. Christ Jesus took on flesh and became 100% human. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. He joined with our fate. Wow! Wow! What it means to be human! That God would crown us with salvation and fuse us to his divine nature through his son and welcome us to know him and to love him. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Hey, maybe somebody has never told you this. Your life has God-given value. You are a sacred treasure of your Maker. Heaven's King came down from glory to save you. That's true about every human who has ever existed and been formed. Wow! Wow! Do you realize 
who God made you, what he made you, and what he has destined you for? And have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Creation and salvation show that God has given you tremendous worth and value, but guess what? It's all in Christ that you can become who God designed you to be. Well, number one, all human life has God-given value. Number two, jot this down, human life, we, be, we believe, begins at conception. Human life begins at conception. Many people would agree with the first point, all human life has God-given value. Yeah, I agree with that. Even if they're not religious, even if they don't really believe in God, they'd say, yeah, humanity is special and different. Now, they wouldn't really have a rational basis on which to say, here's why humans are valuable. They wouldn't, couldn't find value really anywhere. It would just be something that they assume. Now, this is where the debate begins, though. Okay, well then, when does human life begin? And I will argue this. We can show clearly from science and from Scripture that life begins at conception. That what's growing in the womb is human life from the first living cell. And I'll also show that if you don't assign humanity to life from the first living cell, you have no rational, biblical, scientific basis to assign humanity to it at any later point. So you must, you must assign humanity to it from the first living cell. And that's according to science and according to the Bible. And if you try at any later point to say, and now it's human, you will fail to be rational and scientific and biblical. Human life begins at conception. Let's talk about science first. Jot this down. Science clearly confirms this. Science clearly, I want to circle that word, put a star by it. It's not kind of, it clearly confirms this. What is the biological definition of life? What are they looking for on Mars? Well, here it is. Observed order, response to the environment, reproduction, growth and development, regulation, homeostasis, and energy processing. Okay. So, the first cell formed in the mother's womb checks all of those boxes. Check, 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 check. Scientifically, beyond any shadow of a doubt, it is life. It's life. From its first cell, it's life. To say it's not life is to look away from the scientific definition of life. But is it human? Well, what is human life? How could we tell if it's human life? Should we wait? 23 chromosomes from each parent combine to form a genetically distinct living cell. From the first cell, it has three billion letters of information, DNA, and it is a different life form from the mother. It is a life that designs and builds itself to be genetically distinct in every one of its multiple trillion cells from the mother. And that begins in the first cell. This is crucial to understand. Nothing is added to that cell. 
the mother just supplies nutrition. All that is necessary for a full human life to develop and form and build and design itself is there in the first cell. Therefore, is it life? Unmistakably, yes. Is it human? Unmistakably, scientifically, yes. Listen, this is human life, and this is scientifically irrefutable. Well, if that's what science says, what does the Bible teach? We'll jot this down. The Bible clearly teaches that life begins at conception. You could write that down. The Bible clearly teaches that life begins at conception. Well, how do we know this? Well, there's several verses we can point to, but in Job 10, 11 to 12, uh, here's what it says. This is Job reflecting. Uh, it says this, You clothed me, who? God. You clothed me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews. You have granted me life and steadfast love, and your care has preserved my spirit. All right, God's doing something. When did it start? In the womb. Who's at work there? God. Uh, God. God is not only guiding the biological process of life, but the spirit, where does a soul come from? You know, where does a spirit come from? <laughs> I mean, the, not the ovaries, okay? So how does a person get a distinct uh, spiritual being? Well, God supplies that. So we believe that God governs both the biological and the spiritual process of making a human being. Job knew that. Exodus 4.11, Moses was complaining. He didn't want to go do what God wanted him to do. So the Lord said this to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? In other words, the attributes you have, even the disabilities you may have, went through God's governing supernatural process that brought you into this world. God knew about Moses' setbacks and his insecurities and his peculiarities. God knew them and God, in his providence, allowed or intended them. God did that. Jeremiah 1.5 says this to Jeremiah, Before I, for I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Who formed him? God did. What's going on in the womb? God's doing something spectacular. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Notice everything that God is planning in the womb. I knew you. I consecrated you. I appointed you. I had work for you to do. There's something going on between God and that human being in the womb. There's planning. There's developing. There's designing. This is a sacred moment when life begins. Number one, all human life has God-given value. Number two, human life begins at conception. Note again that this is scientifically and scripturally irrefutable. And number three, okay, then how can we defend the unborn? If I'm convinced that this is the view, how do I actually convey this confidently and courageously with other people? And do I have to? Do I have? I don't want to. I don't want, nobody's going to listen to me. Nobody's going to care. I'm going to lose friends. Why would I even say anything? Proverbs 24, 11 to 12 says this, Rescue those who are being taken away to death. Hold back those who are stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, Behold, we did not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? 
Will he not repay man according to his work? If you conclude scientifically, scripturally, life begins at conception, therefore this is a human life, then you have to also say, I have a responsibility. I have an obligation to use whatever voice I've been given to speak up for those who can't speak up for themselves. I would strongly recommend that if you have the opportunity to have a conversation with somebody, that you ask questions. This is a really great tool of dialogue, uh, and so often when we get ready and all riled up and we're ready to say something, we take our gun out and load it with five truths, and then we go, truth, 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 there, I did it, right? Well, that doesn't go well. It doesn't lead to a good spiritual conversation. Uh, I would imagine some of you in this room over the next several years, maybe even right now, will be able to have a spiritual conversation with somebody about life, about abortion. Perhaps a family member has an unexpected pregnancy and there's pressure on them, you know, to end that. Uh, maybe someone watching online or you are in this very decision right now. Uh, whatever it is, maybe you have influence over some organization and they're setting some policy and you can actually lend your voice meaningfully, respectfully, humbly to this conversation. Whatever it is, I would like for you to find your voice. With your children, what you teach them, I would love for you to find your voice. And that begins with questions. Here's the first question that, no matter what angle this comes up at, right? Here's the first and the best question you can ask. What is the unborn? Let the other person talk. Can I ask you a question? What is the unborn? And then you do this. shouting at everyone. What is the unborn? How would you answer that question? What is the unborn? The correct answer is, it is human life in its earliest stage of development because scripture and science show this and it's irrefutable. That's the correct answer. But it's not good if you give the answer to them. Make them answer it. They have a moral responsibility to answer the question. They have a scientific obligation to state why they believe what they do. And frankly, I don't know, is a cop-out. You know what? I'd like you to do better than that. I don't know. There's so much we know. I, I want to know what you believe. Do you really not know what the science says? Do you really not know what the Bible says? I mean, I could tell you, but... I want to hear your thoughts on this matter. I mean, just keep the feet to the fire. What is the unborn? It's a huge question, and it would be a fantastic conversation starter. Now, if you have the chance then, if they share what they think, then you can say, well, here's what the Bible says, and here's what science says, and here's, I believe that the unborn is unmistakably human life from the earliest stage of development. Great! You did it! But you got to listen first. Next question. Let's say that they disagree. Well, I just can't get on board with that. No, it's human. How, how can it be human? It doesn't even have a thumb. It's human? Really? How? A lot of people are really confused about that. 
Uh, it's really, a lot of people put their energy toward late-term abortion. I can't believe most abortions happen early. If you can't defend the dignity and value and identity of human life within the first six weeks, you can't persuade the vast majority of people to not have an abortion. You've got to be able to defend it here. So you can't give in at this point. Well, you know what I mean, later, sure, there's a heartbeat, whatever. That's not good enough. So the question is this. How is the unborn different from you? What is the unborn? Well, I, it gets there, but how is the unborn different from you? Oh, there's a lot of differences. Brain waves. I mean, a lot of differences. So there's a helpful tool to remember how to discuss this with someone, and it's called SLED. SLED is the acronym that gives you each one of these words. Uh, and here's what we would say. The um, unborn is not different from you in any way that takes away their humanity. Okay? So first, the unborn differs from you in size. You can write that down. Size. They're smaller. Much smaller. A lot smaller. So does size give a person humanity when they get to a certain height or weight? Does size create humanity? I mean, if so, LeBron's a lot more human than I am, you know? The problem also is size can be taken away. The older you get, the shorter you grow, you know? I mean, the bigger you get, the more human you become. Is there a point, a certain height and weight at which you have crossed the threshold of size, and therefore we now know that you're human because of your size? No. Let's face the reality. Size doesn't create humanity. Uh, James, uh, LeBron James isn't any more human than me, and Danny DeVito is not any less human than me, right? Check it out. Here's a picture of a poppy seed. This is confusing because when you started your journey into planet Earth, you were that big. That was you! How can that be human? Right? There's no brain, there's no kidneys, there's no fingerprints, there's no nothing! It's not life. It's nothing. Okay, but we've already talked about from the very first living cell, it is life. It is human. So size does not add any humanity to the living being. Size. Next one, jot this down, level of development. Level of development. So, okay, if I see brain waves, if I see a heartbeat, if I see, those things, a lot of them come along very early, by the way. If I see 10 fingers and 10 toes, if I see too long, okay, then, I, then I'll agree it's human. Biologically, when all the parts are there, all right, this is a problem for a number of reasons. Let's cover the science first. Uh, biology people are going to love me today, right? Wow, he's going into all the science. I've been waiting for this. Uh, life forms, not from addition, right? There's not all these other cells coming in, like stacking on. It forms from what? Division. The cell divides into another one, into another one, into another one. Therefore, there's not other stuff coming in. There's an arm! You know, it finally got there. It's all forming from within, from within. Therefore, the, the human is not the sum of the parts, okay? The parts come from the whole, from within. And if you want to hear a mind-blowing statistic, listen, though it's rare, when you have a living cell capable of reproduction, the first time that cell divides, listen, bloop, what, bloop? one division, that cell can break off and become an entirely separate human being. A twin. 
What more do you need to conclude that first cell was fully human? It just made another human! Well, I didn't see a belly button in there. You see how biologically it doesn't make sense? It's all in there to not just form one, but maybe another. Wow! Do you see how it's not addition, it's division, and therefore the whole creates the parts. You can't then start counting up the parts to say, well, okay, now it's a whole. Now it's a, it got there. Nope. Level of development. Now this is also a problem because we know that babies can be born early, right? So here's a picture of a preemie, you know, comes out early. Is this smiling preemie? And if I've made several visits to the hospital, maybe you've never been there where you, this poor little uh, fella is just hooked up to every machine possible. Um, and level of development wasn't supposed to be out yet, right? Wasn't supposed to be out yet. Uh, you know what? And how on earth could we say, you know what? Uh, I draw the line at this week with this level. It's not human yet. I mean, if it's human when it's out of the womb based on the level of development, then you can't deny it humanity inside the womb based on its level of development. Also, if humanity is when all the parts are there, I'll say it's human. What if you lose a part? What if you lose an arm? Are you less human? You know? Uh, what if you donate a kidney? The parts don't add up to the, how many parts does he have? Oh, he's down to this man, not human anymore. In addition, this can become great and has become greatly abused in human history. Well, what parts do I see there? What eye color? What skin color? Let's examine the parts. And guess what? You know what? Based on the parts I see, that person is not human, or at least not fully human. Hasn't that happened? judging a person's humanity by the parts that we and who makes the list who gets to decide what parts make a person fully human that's playing god and it has led to great wickedness all right so size doesn't confer humanity level of development doesn't mean that you get human next one environment environment well it's not born yet okay it hasn't moved six inches really it hasn't come from here to here well, it's inside, it's not outside, therefore it's not human. It doesn't make sense that it's not human here, then it moves to here and suddenly, boom, it's human. And this leads to the last one, dependency. Dependency. Well, it, it, when it's in there, it can't survive apart from the mother. All right? Does dependency prevent humanity? How dependent would you need to become on others around you for you to lose your humanity? I, I have friends who have uh, blood disorders. They can't survive without regular transfusions of blood because they were born, their blood was genetically um, missing parts. If they don't get the transfusions, they won't live. Well, that's awfully dependent. They can't make it without the rest of us. Are they human? Are they human? Well, they're so dependent on on the mother. The, I mean, what, you know, so dependent. Okay, is it the level of dependency that creates humanity or prevents humanity or affirms humanity? Uh, preemies are awfully dependent, and guess what? So are toddlers. After they're born, the situation does not get much better. Here's a picture of a toddler. They don't want to eat. They don't want to sleep. They don't want to get dressed. They run around with sharp objects. You're almost human. Is that what we say to them? Soon as you can figure it out on your own, I'll say you're... A no, no, it doesn't make sense. 
And you realize these are the only ways that the unborn is different from you. Size, level of development, environment, dependency. Do any of those create a person's humanity? Absolutely not. They're human regardless of their size, development, environment, and dependency. Therefore, if you have never done this before, I would like today to be the day that based on what you've heard today, that you would be able to say that you have a strong, clear, scientific, biblical conviction that from the first living cell, it is a human being. Maybe you've never said that before. I'd like that to become your conviction. If that's not your conviction, I'd love to hear from you why. I know what people say. There's a lot of what ifs. What if? What about the life of a mother? What if the child was conceived through rape or incest? What if there's disability? What if, what if, what if, what if? First, those things are very important to discuss. Very important. But they do not change the answer to this question. What is the unborn? What is the unborn? And jot this down. Here's the third question you can ask. If the unborn is human life, isn't abortion morally wrong? If the unborn is human life, isn't abortion morally wrong? We're going to cover the what-ifs on my weekly webcast Thursday at noon. I don't want you to think I'm dodging these questions. But we're focusing on the fundamentals and the fundamental conclusion based on the science and the scripture is this. Abortion is the murder of a human life. A life that God was designing and had purpose to serve a glorious purpose. A life that can never be unmade. If the unborn is human life, abortion is morally wrong. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? And if not, why? I want to end on a pastoral note. I know this issue is real to many right now. And whether someone is being pressured to have an abortion or already did, or someone you know is considering it, I would just like you to know that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And uh, this issue doesn't turn someone into a greater sinner than anyone else. The person you're talking about, if they have a different opinion than you, it's not your job to condemn them, you know, and uh, make them feel the fires of fury early. I mean... This is an area that can be covered by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can have strong biblical scientific convictions and have great spiritual conversations and hopefully help other people to share with us what they actually believe and maybe persuade them to see what the Bible and science say and perhaps even save lives. We can perhaps even save lives but let's be very careful to be shepherding, to be loving, regardless of where people fall on this issue. And that includes you. Whatever, however this issue has personally shown up in your life, I want you to take it to the cross, and I want you to express and receive all of the grace and the truth found in Jesus Christ. Hey, if you'd like to take the next step, 40 Days for Life has just begun. Here's a picture uh, of a website. You can go to 40 Days for Life. And you can sign up to go to the Flossmore um, <clears throat> Planned Parenthood. And you can just show up with a few people you want to go to and just pray. You can pray if you'd like to. Some people just show up. or uh, There's many different ways that you can actually go in. Maybe you just want to be there, you know, to be part of it. Um, 
And so you can take that next step if you'd like to, 40 Days for, for Life, and then make sure you find the Flossmore campaign. A lot of good has been done through those vigils. <clears throat> well, hey, this is a huge, huge, heavy topic. So let's commit everything we've heard today to the Lord in prayer. Father, we strive to be gracious and truthful, and we, we want the truth on this issue to guide and govern everything that we believe and all that we say. So, Lord, I just pray that in your church there would be a, um, Lord, just a heart for the unborn, that there would be a, a desire, oh Lord, to see people value life um, in a culture that values death. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to find our voice on this issue, to be able to share graciously, humbly with other people why we believe that every human being is precious in the sight of God and deserves entrance into the human family. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to have divine appointments, opportunities, O oh Lord, even this week, to talk to people about why we hold this view, to strip away all the politics of it and to actually just share what the Bible says, what science shows. Help us, Lord, to rationally, graciously convince other people to value and treasure life. And I pray that you would help us to define ourselves according to the wonderful truths we heard today, that we are... Uh, we, we are in the hands of the potter. You made us. You formed us. You wove us together. You gave us a grand purpose. And Jesus, through you, we will be with you forever. Wow. I'm so grateful for the love that you have given to humanity. Help us, O oh Lord, to spread that love and to spread that message of life to the ends of the earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.